A few years ago, I remember seeing a commercial, most likely on the computer, where the camera angle is of one moving through a hospital. And I didn't think I would be able to find a random commercial, but one Google search of commercial, hospital, knowing thoughts of others, brought it up as the first result. No words are spoken, but as a person comes into view, text of what they are going through, context for why they are in the hospital appears. As you can imagine, the circumstances of the patients vary from worry to joy, confusion to determination. And for about four minutes, the Cleveland Clinic offers a glimpse into the lives of others before asking at the end, if you could stand in someone else's shoes, hear what they hear, see what they see, feel what they feel, would you treat them differently? The video is entitled, Empathy, the Human Connection to Patient Care. 10 years ago, the clinic made this video to cultivate what had been named as a missing link in our society even before the pandemic. If we take a moment to consider what another person is going through, does it change how we relate with them for the better? Does it change who we are or who or what we understand God to be? What we know of God and how God instructs us to be in relationship with one another primarily comes from our holy scriptures. As Christians, we especially look to Jesus to show us the way of living in right relationship with one another. Have you ever wondered what Jesus heard or saw or felt as he walked around beyond what we're told in the New Testament? Knowing the hearts and minds of everyone, I presume he didn't need text to appear to know what others perceived. He just does. And while we are six weeks into Easter, our gospel lesson takes us back to that night of the Last Supper. After Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, foretold again of his betrayal, including Peter's, offered the new commandment, and assured the disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. All this and the message that we hear today happened before Jesus was crucified. And among all the other feelings, Jesus knows how attached the disciples are to him, his mortal flesh, his presence, his love, his very being. And he anticipates the grief they will feel in his absence. Still, he meets them where they are and does not withhold the truth from them. He offers them assurance that they will not be left orphaned. Another advocate, the spirit of truth, will come. And however loving and compassionate it may be, this is still relatively cryptic for those who don't have the full context. The disciples don't yet have the crucifixion nor the resurrection. And we too hear these words before the ascension, when the resurrected Jesus Christ will leave the disciples again, only this time 
to remain at the right hand of the Father, as if God only has a right hand and a left, as if God, let alone, is a Father. But the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, comes to mind while I was writing this. An inspiration, perhaps, or a reminder that I do not know and cannot know how and why God exists the way that God does. I am encouraged to be careful in how I interpret God's word. When I hear Jesus say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, I first hear it as a conditional statement. And it is, truthfully, conditional. But those conditions are mine to determine. God's love is a given. But if I choose to believe in God through Jesus Christ, and if I choose to love, then then I will keep the commandments, particularly that new commandment to love one another. That love of one another points toward a union in God that presupposes empathy and surpasses human understanding. It is that union that would recognize the spirit of truth because it would already have made an abode within me within us, within you. We would live as we live in love and in God. Now, Paul, who didn't have the experience of being in the physical presence of Jesus, knows something of this love of and in God. Now, Paul isn't the first person I think of when I consider one with empathy, but the man knows his audience, and perhaps even, excuse me, perhaps even more so when he's on trial. The people that Paul encounters in Athens have time for intellectual and philosophical pursuits. Woven into their daily life is a religiosity that Paul deems as extreme. Having taken time to walk through the city, carefully looking at the objects of their worship, Paul does not zealously destroy their idols nor angrily condemn their way of life, at least not in this time and at this place. Given the opportunity, he shares a proclamation with them about the maker of heaven and earth. And he has that authority of lived experience of new life after repentance and a gift for evangelism. And he uses both for the benefit of those to hear. And I imagine that spirit of truth, the advocate, being fully engaged in that moment. Rather than seeing the altar to an unknown God as an inclusive catch-all for any deities that may be forgotten, Paul sees it as an invitation to engage their curiosity, to offer intrigue at the possibility of perhaps knowing something of the unknown. Before he shares his proclamation, though, it's worth noting that he demonstrates knowledge of their poetry, which is also another recognition of knowledge of their gods, because that quote about being offspring actually comes from an opening invocation to Zeus in their Greek poetry. Knowing the context of others is not light or easy work, but showing some element of mutual respect or at least some amount of understanding opens a way for trust creating an opportunity to hear in our heart of hearts what may have before seemed impossible, if not highly improbable. In a season of celebrating academic achievements and thinking about the one to whom we were born and those who have mothered us in our lives, can we take a step out of what is known and familiar and venture into that realm of uncertainty 
of what we don't know or even into what is uncomfortable. And that's a big ask, and I'm not asking you to go there if you don't want to. Think of the 11 disciples who were relieved to know that they weren't the one that's going to betray Jesus, and they were probably quite content to ponder how they might show love of one another, incapable of processing the news that Jesus was trying to tell them. Some Athenians were likely very angry at Paul, suggesting that their way of life was lacking in any way. But there was someone who heard Paul's words and felt that stirring in their being, a resonance of recognition. Someone who, like those who experience Holy Communion for that first time and hear those gracious words or read them of whoever you are in your journey of faith, you are welcome in this place, you are welcome at God's table, and they feel seen and heard as a beloved child of God. Someone who was maybe drifting with restlessness, groping at one superficial stimulation after another while ignoring the deep yearning within yet whose soul grumbled with an awakened hunger at the possibility that perhaps something or someone heretofore unknown was seeking them. Someone who felt like the missing piece of the puzzle was finally found and snaps into place, only that sound isn't of closure, but of a new door, a new life being opened. For all that we know of God, There is so much more that we do not know. And some of the most beautiful things in this life are the revelations, the ways in which we discover God and God's love for us, and the delights of creation, and the kindness of others, the strength that we find when we think we have none left, and other good things as surpass our understanding that's alluded to in our collect for today. All of God's promises are rooted in unconditional, everlasting love. And it's always up to us to decide if we are willing to believe and trust that our triune God is known to us as true. And if we so believe, then whatever the circumstances, we love one another as we are loved. And we don't have to be omniscient or all-knowing to be loving. Christ is the connection that we always need.